Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on CelticsBlog.com. We are reacting immediately after the Game 7 win by the Celtics against the Toronto Raptors. I am Adam Motenko. Here with me, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, Josh? What's up, guys? I got this little... uh, We're sacrificing microphone quality right now because I got some ice in my cup because that's how we're doing it, baby. What are you drinking, like a, a victory beverage? A victory beverage, that's right. Josh Matenko bringing the professionalism. Uh, and, and yeah, making him look bad, Mike Minkoff. Yeah, because uh, I definitely do not have my own victory beverage in hand right now. So I'm, I'm very much making Josh look bad. How's it going, Josh, guys? What are you drinking? <laughs> what are you doing? Hey, hey. <laughs> In a win, you sacrifice microphone quality for a celebration beverage, my brother. Oh, I was being sarcastic. I. All right, that was. Thank God the Celtics won. Oh my God, I was. I was not looking forward to talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be so sad. <laughs> That's right. We, we're we are thanking uh, no matter what religion, faith you come from. We are thanking your God. We are thanking the basketball gods. We are thanking the leprechaun and all the luck. We are thanking the God that is Marcus Smart on defense. Thank God for Celtics pride. Yeah, I mean, the the Celtics, I I thought, were the more talented team, and the Raptors were very clearly in this series the grittier team, and I was worried about how this game was going to end, especially as things were looking in the fourth quarter with that, that lead dwindling down, Grant missing those free throws. Got a little touch and go there at the end. But let's start at the top, right, from the top down. Jason Tatum coming out with the purple shoes, obviously haven't thought about everything Kobe taught him and what Kobe would be saying to him pregame. And, I mean, can we get the stats from our interns on when Tatum plays with the purple shoes only? I think, I think your interns are, are those little ice cubes in your cup. Maybe, maybe you should consult them. <laughs> he came out with composure and poise, playing calm and calculated. The boys maturing before our eyes. Uh, Mike, tell me your thoughts about Jason Tatum in this game. Kobe Tatum. Don't 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 say that. That sullies his name. <laughs> Tatum was phenomenal. Uh, he commanded. I mean, he he commanded the entire attention of the defense. The Celtics continuously put the ball in his hands uh, to initiate the offense, and he continuously delivered. He I don't know what his exact stats were. It was like 29, 12, and seven or something. 30, 12, and seven. Um, he cleaned up he didn't uh sloppy turnovers he i don't i can't think of any bad eh, he had he had got stripped by uh or the ball poked away by gasol once maybe one or two others but fewer turnovers than he's had in the past and really efficient shooting the ball actually started drawing uh fouls and getting to the free throw line a bit this game which which he's been inconsistent in in the um, in the playoffs and and kind of the bubble right part of the regular season, uh, he just totally showed up. And he was, I mean, in my opinion, between it was him and Marcus Smart that were basically the differentiators uh, for the Celtics well, in this one. I, I I it's a little nitpicky, but I, I found that that there was a lot of one on one offense that that uh, through Tatum in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, that to me felt like it slowed down the offense and I was yelling at the screen, run the offense, like do a pick and roll, do something. 
except this one-on-one. And jo- Coach Josh, I want to ask your, your thoughts on that. No, this is the game seven. This is the game when, I mean, it's, it's almost like he came out and, and you could tell that he was thinking about what Kobe would say to him. And he's thinking about what his dad was probably saying to him, right? He's got the overbearing dad who's like probably in his ear. Like, are you going to finally step up and be the man you're supposed to be in this seven, game seven? You know, you're the best player in the series. You got to play like it. And, and, you know, then he goes back to the coaching staff like, okay, I, I think I'm ready. I think like we're, we're seeing him mature before our, our very eyes. And, you know, coming out in game four, he's the guy they trapped first possession of the game. And they decided we're going to make this his night difficult, you know, every single game in the series from then on. And he's having to deal with this kind of adversity for the first time in his life um, with everything on his shoulders. And it's, you know, we, we've had the struggles of the immaturity, the whining about the refs, another Kobe trait, um, the not getting back on defense, the you know the sloppy turnovers like dribbling off his foot in the fourth quarter of this game, uh, the things, the unforced errors that you wish you could have back, or the reactions that are, are mental weakness just simply because he's young and he hasn't been there before. Um, and there's a whole other world where we lose this game and we're talking about that's the issue right now, right? Is we're, we're, we're expecting these guys to mature. The 21-year-old needs to mature. I got to jump in on that because people after game six were like talking about how Tatum had a bad game uh, or like was too, like, it's ridiculous. Like Tatum, whether or not we won or lost this game, Tatum was phenomenal this game. He was very, very good in game six and he's a absolutely phenomenal 22 year old player. I don't understand. Like, yes, he made some mistakes, but the, the like nitpicking on it is literally insane to me. But so here's the perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. Every time, Mike, and I know you were upset when he would do this, every time that he would think that he should get a call, you know, like because he's supposed to be a, stup- a superstar, he can act like one now without actually getting the call. I mean, that was his, that, he was doing that the first three games, even though we were winning. I know you were upset with that. You don't think that's immature? It's, it's one th- no, but no, but you said we would be talking about how the story was him making those like small mistakes, and I just reject that idea. Like it's like no, he still played a really really good game, but he has a couple of things that he needs to grow out of. Like we didn't lo- we don't lose because Jason Tatum is our best player on the court and makes a couple of small mistakes. We lose because Brad Stevens is inexplicably playing Shemi Ojale when Grant Williams is sitting there as a much better option the entire game. Or we lose because Kemba Walker, who I I was frustrated with the criticism about him in game six, but his first three quarters were a legit stinker of this game. Um, you know, we don't lose because of the way Jason Tatum's playing, even if there's a few mistakes in there. He's 22 and he's carrying he's carrying our team. He did come out ready to go and looking like he he was like ready for the stage and this he could he, this was his game and he was going to take advantage and and that I mean I, I saw that from the beginning and I was like okay that's I've been looking for that uh, in a lot of ways and he was yelling at players in a different way he he was less mild mannered uh, than typical and and it did feel like to me I, I agree with Josh it, it felt like there was some evolution happening here I think we're watching it happen before our eyes he's maturing like another example. Kyle Lowry, Van Vliet, even guys like Smart, they know how to keep their dribble alive and get contact. So they can maybe get a call, and if that whistle blows, they're going 
into their upward shooting motion. Tatum twice in this game threw up a shot thinking he deserved to get fouled and he didn't get the call. And so he's the guy who's, you know, he's throwing up the shot hoping to get the call instead of making sure he gets the call before going into a shooting motion. Just little veteran type moves like that that simply come from experience that he doesn't have. He's got the talent. He's got the potential. Uh, I think he's got the mindset, but he's the young version of what he will be. You know, and we're watching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, totally we're, agree with that. we're and and if we lose, it's because he's not ready yet. It's because he wasn't ready to put us on his shoulders, but tonight he did. Yeah, that's the part. I'm, uh, well, it doesn't matter. We won. <laughs> I don't want to argue that. <laughs> I want to be joyous. Who do you want to talk about next, Josh? Well, Mike brought up the bench. You know, he's putting a lot of onus on Ojale and, and the rest of the bench. And as much as I hate them and have been harping on on Stevens playing Ojale less and less, uh, I don't put. You know, I don't think he's the reason why we were so low scoring or didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't like his. No, minutes. I don't. I don't either. But is can you like legit? I just need someone to explain to me why we should be playing Ojale at any point instead of Grant Williams. Just, just give me a, a yeah. reasonable explanation. No, I have not. agreed. I have. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all I want to highlight. That's it's just like I let you know it. We were. I don't even remember what the score was. Super close game. It was like two minutes left in the third quarter. I think we're down still. Four point. No, we're or like clinging to a lead. Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And Ojale comes in, and why? <laughs> Just why? Like we're 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 barely holding on, and he's an absolute zero on on offense. He made a re- absurd three from the corner uh, in the first quarter, and that's the only points he scored. He took terrible threes, or even a quote unquote good three that you just knew was going to miss later on in the game. Yep. And then Grant Williams comes in and it has. Huge defensive possessions, huge offensive rebounds. Yeah, he missed his free throws. He's a rookie that's barely gotten off the bench in the playoffs. But he's just a better player in every possible way. I just can't. Like, you joked before, Josh, that Ojale has some dirt on Stevens. And that, at this point, I'm convinced you were right. Yeah, that was me. Oh, that was you, it's Adam? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, people get us confused often. It's okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're twins. You're the same person. Uh, you, call, <laughs> you called Ojale a, a zero on offense. He was actually a negative 14 on the game. So that's my confirmation bias data there about how bad Ojale is. My, my thing with playing him instead of Grant Williams is the more minutes you give Grant Williams, the more comfortable he is. He's a rookie. He needs those minutes. Maybe he's a little more comfortable at the free throw line because if he had had more minutes in this game. Uh, you know, that's, that's just a tough situation to put him in. And thank goodness we won because those free throws would haunt him uh, for a long time if we had lost this game. And I don't think Tatum got fouled on that offensive rebound attempt uh, off of Grant Williams' free throws. Did you guys? Don't get me started on the refs, Josh. I, I got a whole thing on yeah, the refs. Yeah, let's not get Adam started. I, I, the refs were bad enough in game six that I was actually complaining about the refs, which <laughs> I feel like takes a little more than it does for Adam to get going. Um, yeah, let's not let's not go down that path. I actually thought the refs were pretty solid this game. 
to be honest. My issues aren't just with the refs, it's also with the rules. So it's it's like an old man take on Yeah, the thing. we can we can you can you can we, we can file a, a official podcast recording to the competition committee in the off season, Adam. We can we okay. can just you can get it all out then. But let's you let's just say... let me know where and when I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, I'll okay, sounds good. <laughs> Jalen Brown, when he went down, it wasn't as bad as like when I saw Tobias Harris hit his face against the, the floor like that. But, but it was, I mean, I was almost as scared. Like, that we cannot lose that guy. That's the only time I've had fear. Yeah, Josh, you, so oh. you thought it was a groin injury? Oh, yeah. My 30-second diagnosis was a pulled groin. Luckily, he's 22 years old, 23. And, uh, you know, you can recover real quick from those things. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I, injured. I thought it healed. might be a lower... A lower, like a lower glute type of set. Like it looked like it was kind of like the top of his hamstring, lower glute area. But either way, I don't know. He was running around. He still seemed okay on that front. He, I think, airballed one three, and and that was the only shot he took. He 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 didn't really try to penetrate or break down the defense. I, it'll be something to watch. I'm glad we've got a few days before uh, the next game. Adam. Oh, I I mean, you know, I'm I'm like to talk about injuries more than anybody but it I, I did not watch him closely after after the play uh i was a little worried when it happened of course but uh i expect something to come out about some diagnosis of whatever the injury is and and he'll play through it um and it sounds like brad stevens according to jared weiss said uh that he thinks gordon hayward will return at some point in the next series so i mean the, between the two of them we really need them against the heat but we'll talk more about that next matchup in a little bit Okay, but Gordon Hayward, you touched on it. I got a hot take. Gordon Hayward needs to come off the bench in the next series. Totally agree. And I think now is the time to do it. You, you can right. actually make it happen now. Especially if he's going to leave again. To, for, it sounds no, like I don't think he's going to. Gonna I don't think he's going to. End. Oh, he's not? Yeah, I think it's apparently oh, wow. his wife like posted something on Instagram suggesting that when he next came back, there would be a boy or something. He wouldn't be the only whatever. boy in the house. Yeah, he wouldn't be there. Yeah, see, okay. Josh. Josh follows Robin right. Hayward's gram, <laughs> and so we assume that Robin wasn't was just assume not assuming that uh, they were just going to lose this series, <laughs> and he'd come home early. Everybody and their mother, including Jackie McMullen, is assuming that this tweet or whatever from from his wife is it means that he's going to stay in the bubble. Okay, um, and I think it actually makes sense from a relationship perspective. You're go you're home rehabbing. So there's your time with the, you know, with the fam and you have time enough where your family sees you watching the games and not being able to be there and they see emotion of that. And then maybe they're pushing you like, okay, we see how you're feeling. We're watching this and, and you need to go there. They need you more than we do kind of a thing. That may be true, but I think everybody is focusing on the wrong thing here with Robin. What they should be focusing on is the fact that she has allowed Gordon to continue with his mustache, and I just want to applaud her for that. Okay. I have no, I have no, I have no, can we, wait, can we, we have talked about way too many players not named Marcus Smart. Can, can we please talk about Marcus Smart a little bit? Marcus was a difference maker again today. That block uh, on, uh, who was that? Uh, uh, Norman Powell. That was unbelievable, and I think that saved this game. It was one of like six unbelievable plays Marcus Smart made in the fourth quarter alone. Like he he took charges. He had like three steals uh, just in the fourth. Uh, 
I don't care what the statistician says. He had two steals on back-to-back plays twice in the game. So four steals total, are you four saying? St- <laughs> I don't know how many steals he had total, but I know that that, that he's playing Only out of his three. mind. And defensively, defensively and in terms of the trust factor, this is why Hayward needs to come off the bench when he returns because Marcus Smart is someone we can trust more than Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward is a better player, potentially, but Marcus Smart is the trustworthy one right now. He's the reliable guy, the guy we've counted on, who's gotten us this far. He needs to get the majority of the minutes and to show what he can do. And if he's having an off night and Hayward comes in and he's shooting the ball well and not turning it over, then you know we get... Reli- reliable is a funny word. Uh, I agree. I don't disagree with you, but it's a funny word because from like the statistical perspective, right? Gordon Hayward's far more reliable more reliable shooter, more reliable passer, all of that stuff. Well, maybe not passer, but, um, but yeah, in big, big games and big moments, there's no one on this team. I think literally no one on the team yeah. you trust more than Marcus Smart. Yeah. From a clutch perspective, of course. And then also in terms of my, my favorite ability in a basketball player availability, that's the place where I trust Marcus Smart way more than Gordon Hayward. And, and that includes like mentality game to game. The mentality part, I think, is the biggest is the biggest piece in high leverage games. Like Marcus Smart will always meet the competition. Gordon Hayward, at least in his time with the Celtics, that's proved a little less reliable. Anything else on Marcus? Yeah, aside from the block, any any favorite moments? I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. That's the one. I mean that that play was just unbelievable. Like the loose balls. The speed on on getting to the 50-50 balls from Marcus Smart. It's like, yes. how did he just beat those guys who were five feet closer to the ball? And, and all of a sudden, well, he's was, ahead of them, laying it up? There was one in the second quarter, I think it was, where it was a long rebound, and he outran, I think it was Lowry and Powell. And if you, like, watching the play, he, he started sprint basically sprinting before they kind of even picked up on where the ball was going to go. Like, he just has this preternatural ability to to know where the ball is going to be going, and you know it's just always all out going there. But I think I actually think he was more. He may have been more important to us than Tatum this game. Tatum will get kind of the superstar coronation treatment, uh, but I, I, it's going to I think un, unfairly or disproportionately outshine. Smart's contribution to our winning this game. Marcus Smart is a shapeshifter. He bends time and space. Forget the Time Lord. He should be the Time Lord. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're talking about Robert Williams. <laughs> what did you guys see from Robert Williams? He didn't, he didn't sink us, which is kind <laughs> of a win. <laughs> I think he, he got in the game early, which I found interesting. I don't know if they were trying to save uh, Daniel Tice's fouls by not no, they're, much I think the they were trying foul. to align align Tice's time with Abaka's and Williams time with Gasol I think he did a good job snuffing out the 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 drive on the pick and roll as a shot blocker I mean he really changes things as a shot blocker every time he's in there early or with the starters when I don't expect him to be I kind of like imagine that he's a part of this future rotation where we're just out athleting every other team uh Pardon the incorrect English. That was our first, like, what, 10 games of the season this year. It was a year ago, but he was playing prominently, and we were 
destroying people uh, before he got hurt. Um, he, I think, to me, what was <laughs> most important with him, he he didn't pick up basically any stupid fouls. He didn't. He wasn't jumping uh, uh, unnecessarily, and he didn't have any stupid turnovers. He had one bad um, offensive foul called on a, leaning on a on a screen early in the game, but other than that, he was he was somewhere between neutral and positive. Which, given how much time he missed this season, for him to be able to do contribute in that way uh, in Game Seven against a, a team as gritty as the Raptors is awesome. And the broadcasters seem to love him. They seem to think that like all of his uh, extraordinary plays are almost like more intimidating than than his deficiencies are negative, um, which to me is idiotic because he makes too many mistakes. But and it's funny because if Stan Van Gundy was coaching him, he'd probably bury him on the bench. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, the, Robert Williams is. I mean, I, I we called him the X factor for this series, and he definitely did not show up in that way. Um, but he brought a little something, and I think he he's probably got a role in in the next series too. Um, you, you you wanted to move to Brad Stevens, Josh. I, just before we do, we got, I think we got to talk about Kemba Walker because oh yeah, he um, did not show up in the way uh, that we all expected last game. Um, Fourteen points this game. One of seven from three, five of sixteen from the floor. It was not an amazing Kemba Walker game, um, and I'm really curious about what you guys think about about him. I mean, I, I expected him to come in and, and score thirty. That, that like he was really going to lead this team, and and it didn't like, quite. Smart happen. and Jalen Brown had endless wide open shots last game, and it was a combination of the attention that Kemba was drawing, and then uh, some of it was further unlocked by by some good dribble penetration and passing by Jason Tatum, but. Tatum wouldn't have been able to set up as many guys if not for the way that the Raptors entire scheme was selling out to stop Kemba. So I thought he was kind of on. And then Kemba did his own in the second half in overtime, did his own kind of setting up guys, um, getting into the teeth of the defense and passing to open guys in corners or, or Tice or what have you. So I thought it was a little blown out of proportion last game that, that he had a bad game. I thought he had a really good game. And the other thing with Kemba that, I think is always important to uh, kind of bring up again and again is that he just competes and he plays within the team concept so reliably. And after everything that we <laughs> painfully endured last year with Kyrie, it's just such a nice and important thing from one of your best players and, and your best veteran for sure. So I just want to, that's a little defensive Kemba who I, who, all of that said, I do, do think he had a pretty bad game seven. <laughs> I, I'm not worried about Kemba. I got, I'm getting text messages throughout this series. Kemba's not shooting well this game. What do you think about Kemba? Are you worried about Kemba? I'm not worried about him at all. Because if he needs to slide from the second leading scorer on the team, kind of that secondary role, to the third, and Jalen Brown steps ahead of him, or even the fourth, where you have another guy stepping up, I don't mind that. Like, he's going to... He's going to be, as, a, as he learns the floor general uh, ideology, he's going to get in where he fits in and run the team. And like you said, just compete, even defensively. You know, the boxing one was designed to stop him. That's fine. He'll be the one to set the screens, on, and you still get a switch on those. Or you put him out of the play, and he's the corner shooter waiting for the, the, the ball rotation. So 
it's it's not to me Kemba's not having bad games. He's just reacting to how the defense is playing them. We can beat teams if they take out one of our guys. If they want to do a box and one against Tatum, I mean he's already showing that he's maturing in another way, which is getting higher assists in the game and learning how to make decisions for you know the the right play instead of always taking it to the hole. Um, yeah, if if there's a place we're going to talk about evolution before our eyes with Tatum, that's where I would start. His passing is got it. Like yep. just since the start of the playoffs, it seems like his passing has gotten exponentially better. Oh, um, now, now you agree with me. Okay. I didn't dis. I only disagreed <laughs> with the idea that we would blame like a loss on Tatum. That's the only part. I agreed that he's evolving and improving. I just disagreed that we'd blame a loss on Tatum. Like, I, I just think, his performance is definitely not the thing holding us back. <laughs> but um, Adam, what do you think about Kemba? I mean, I, I mentioned I, I expected a bigger game from him. I, I don't really fault him so much. I mean, it's I I think the the defense is keying on him so much that that he in this series, he, as the adjustments have been made, he's really needed to play a distributor role. I mean, he did at the end of the game on that that play that um, that Grant Williams was fouled on, um, but but he missed some shots tonight, and um, I, I expected him to make more. <laughs> it's kind of it comes down to that. I mean, uh, in games like this, as Josh mentioned, related to Jason Tatum, you, your best players have to step up, and and Kemba is right there, one two with Jason Tatum, uh, and, and you know I really expected him to bring it tonight. Um, and, and I'm wondering how much of it has to do with, uh, his deep playoff experience. He's, he is now further in the playoffs than he has ever been. The, the playoffs require a completely different, uh, energy level and, and amount of grit. It's a totally different season. And, and in some ways Kemba is experiencing this for the first time. So it may be, um, it may be too much for me to expect him to to act like a veteran right now. We're learning to what you know from these other teams who are grittier than us what it takes to be a champion. I mean, that's what we thought yeah. we were going to roll over this team at you know halfway through game three, and it doesn't always just come to you because these these other teams are scrappy and they're feistier and they're you know like they're half your size, but they're going to outwill you into victories, and you're going to be going back to the locker room like what happened so i mean even as going back to kemba there's there's evolution in, in his experience too he's finding out that the little guys don't get the foul calls under the rim you know late late in the playoffs late in games like he's just not getting calls and and smaller players are you, are you just need trying to, to key us off on the refs <laughs> no 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 i'm really thinking <laughs> this is something i've taught when you know when, when dealing with smaller players they don't get foul calls when things are really on the line in the playoffs against bigger size, they're just not going to get those calls. And, you know, instead of, I mean, there was a play where Kemba kind of stopped playing, looked at the ref. I immediately yell at the screen, don't stop playing. You know, like he's, he's, he's maturing as well. Like you said. Yeah. So that's, that's going to have a, an adjustment factor and, and he's not going to, he's not going to be able to bring it in the same way. I mean, Tatum and Brown have, far more deep playoff experience than, than Walker and, and, and they don't have that much. So, so before, can, can we do one more? Can I toss one more question to Josh before we get to Brad Stevens? 
I wanna, no. I want to cue Josh up for your favorite type of question, Josh. I'm sorry, Adam. Adam said no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm ignoring Adam. Um, what I say goes. <laughs> He's the moderator, Mike. <laughs> but he was being sarcastic. I thought. <laughs> so what is, what's the question, Josh? How how important for the the psyche of the players on the Celtics is is defeating the defending champs? Yeah, Tatum said it in his his interview right after the game. You know, they're the champs. You got to give them credit. They didn't make it easy for us. That was his quote. So, I mean, he's it's on his mind. You know, this is, and and maybe that's a young thing. Like we just beat the champs. You know, like. Without Ka- without uh, Kawhi, you know they're they're not exactly the champs, but look look at how good they are, right? I I look at it more like there's there's more benefits to our team psyche that we almost lost this series and came back and, and gutted it out and like brought our grittiness to the next level and really dug deep and I mean the the right guys put us on their back, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, so. I mean that's that's the core of the team. That's those are the guys who represent Celtics pride. You know, Marcus Smart, obviously the the guy who played with Jay Crowder and played with Rondo, if I remember correctly, and, and is the transition from that team. You know, basically from the KG era, like that brings that intensity over. You know, he played with Avery Bradley. He was the one who taught all these young guys like what it's really about. Um, and, and to me, if we can spread that Marcus smart attitude and they can see guys like Van Vliet and Lowry who are, have, have that same tenacity, then maybe these young guys can develop that themselves. And I, I see more value in that than we beat the champs. I mean, that's one thing, but if they had Kawhi, then we could really say that and, and take value from that. I think. Josh, you wanted to talk about Brad Stevens. Yeah, but first let's take a, a quick break for a word. From our sponsors. All right, we're back. Uh, Brad Stevens. So I got something. I don't know if it was like my TV or the feed that I was watching the game on. But in the first quarter interview, his voice sounded like an octave and a half lower than normal. Did you guys notice that? Did you have that going on with your TVs? I did not notice that. It was weird. It was like... You know, most of the time in the interviews, you can hear some raspiness from the coaches in their interviews, and and uh, there was none of that for Brad. It was like it was like he took a shot of like testosterone before the game or something. <laughs> is that is that a thing? It was it wasn't quite like that voice masking technology from the late nineteen eighties when they would lower the voice and blur out the face of the people in the witness protection program or like the whistleblowers or people who've committed crimes and need their identity protected. Adam, what did you see there? Did you, was there anything there for you? I'm concerned about your hearing. To is be this honest. is this all you wanted to talk about, Brad Stevens? On <laughs> I mean, look, the game starts. We're doing well. Tatum's wearing his purple Kobe shoes. Brad Stevens talking with a little more uh, bass in his voice. I'm I'm thinking we were like on a roll here, and and uh, yeah, that's what I got for Brad. Are you Stevens. suggesting? Are you suggesting Brad Stevens finally hit puberty? I mean, he looks like he still hasn't yet, but. Uh... All right. How about the Toronto Raptors? You guys got any notes on that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, wait, wait, but, 
What what do we what do you guys think of Brad Stevens coaching <laughs> performance in this series? I mean, he's the coach of the year. What do you want? Brad Stevens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he st- he stayed off the court. That's all you need to do. All right. Look, I, I have my gripes right. about Ojale. I got my gripes about Ojale, but I'm not going to complain about our head coach. He's one of the best in the NBA. And I'm also not going to you know, this is a game that the players win. <laughs> The, when you go deeper and deeper into the playoffs and you're winning championships, it's because of the players. You can have the greatest coach in the world, like Nick Nurse, and if you don't have the players who can overtake the game, like night in and night out, you're not going to win. And that, I think that's what we saw. That's what I was expecting from the Raptors coming into this series, that they were just going to be overmatched by our size on the wings. Obviously, they fought back, proved me wrong. And now, you know, we still we still have the team with the better players the higher level stars um, and, and youth and maturity is the only thing holding us back. Um, so you can only credit the coach so much. Um, yeah. He was all business today. Do you guys want to talk about the, uh, the next series at all? So well, let, let me just have one. Let me just have one closing comment. Actually, let me just say two. I told you so's first of all about the Raptors before we say goodbye to them. Number one, I'll give you credit too. You you picked uh, Celtics in seven. I picked Celtics in seven. Yeah, I wasn't like go. my twin brother who picked the Raptors in seven. Yeah, that's embarrassing. I was very close to being right with Celtics in six. That uh, that was a coin flip last game. But but I told you guys that Norman Powell was good, right? I mean, you see something you did. that you didn't see before. I knew right? I knew Norman Powell was good, okay. and I was terrified every time he jumped up for a three pointer. Okay, Terrifying. second of all. Yeah, he, he, he almost seemed like their most dynamic offensive player. I mean, he wasn't certainly because our defense keyed on other players. But, yeah, that guy is a baller. I like him. I would take him on my team any day. And, and just to defend my, my uh, Raptors in, in seven, I, I've noticed a trend with my predictions that uh, I picked the, the Philly uh, Celtics to beat Philly in, I think it was six. I think I'm I'm giving the other team too much credit, and it might be a psychological thing I'm doing for myself to allow me to to feel better when the Celtics overachieve based on my predictions. Yeah, Adam in our uh, group text thread is daily trying to get us to get him off the ledge. What was the text today, Josh? Remind me why I should be optimistic, something like that. Oh, I said, tell me everything's going to be okay when the game started. I, I'm just worried about this game set. And how did I respond? The, the Raptors, you said, you said fear is a choice. Fear. So completely unhelpful. Fear is a choice, my friend. Always. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, number two. I swear I love this guy you know, as a person, as a player, but Pascal Siakam misses more layups and close shots in more unique ways where it looks like he's, it's going to roll in and then it never does than any player I've ever seen. He reminds me a little bit of myself. Um, and, you know, as wow. they say for the Raptors, if I'm out there playing for you, that's a wrap. Wow. I, I can't believe you just said that Pascal Siakam reminds you of yourself on the court. Have you ever seen a player that misses more shots that you think are going to go in and they just don't? Than you? <laughs> yeah, than me and Pascal Siakam. <laughs> I, I have not had the uh, the privilege of watching you play basketball and miss uh, copious amounts of lay- layups, Josh, so I can't comment on that. How much of uh, Pascal's underperformance this series do you, do you think can rightfully be credited to the Celtics' defense, predominantly Jalen Brown, though not exclusively, versus just 
Pascal underperforming or just not being as good as people seem to think he was? Well, he came out in the beginning of the season averaging 25 points per game and and earning an all-star nod. And, I mean, he was a legit number one option on this team. And his play slowly declined. I think coming out of COVID and and that whole situation is tough. As the Raptors, uh, that's a rap podcasters reminded us, like he's only been playing the game for a few years, five years, six years, I don't know, something like that, right? Um, so, you know, he's kind of like one of those guys who you can use that as excuse that he's, he didn't grow up playing the sport. He played other sports growing up. So um, I think he kind of came back to earth and, and he doesn't really have a game that's built for for right now because it's all spin moves right if on the drives and he's either spinning one way and then spinning back the other and so you can kind of prepare for that we had him cornered and ready to spin back and then on the pass out we had the guy cheating over to steal the pass so we're kind of yeah. ready for that and if he's hitting threes then it opens everything up but when he's shooting 30 percent, 25 percent from three you know so that's to me that's that's a confidence thing with him and something just wasn't right with him in the bubble and, and i think it probably has to do with you know everything going on with all of us in our lives and how difficult things are in 2020 with, you know, COVID and racial justice stuff. And I mean, California, Oregon, and Washington are on fire right now. There's just one thing after another unemployment throughout the country. So there's who knows what's going on, but um, I would chalk it up to that stuff. Cause I think he's a really good player. I, I love the guy. It's just, it's amazing to see how he misses these shots. It's, it's it was lucky for us that he didn't play well. And when you're getting spotlighted on, you know, the spotlight on you by the broadcasters as you're running up the court, passing the half court, it's like, because you really didn't show up in the series and they're talking about how tough you had it. And, you know, it's just, it's not a good look. It's just not a good look. No, um, one one guy who I do think on the Raptor showed, for at least for me, uh, in- incredibly well was OG Ananobi, who I liked before the series. That guy, his defense is unreal. Like he put, he he completely locked down Kemba trying to drive into the paint multiple times in the fourth quarter, um, and really just anyone on the perimeter. Jared Weiss had a tweet about this, but like just anyone that he was covering out on the perimeter, he he put the clamps on. It was, I, I was really impressed by him. Did you say OG Ananobi or Siakam? Because you could OG Ananobi. You could have been talking about either one of them defensively. I think that they're both elite. Uh, defensively. I, I think OG I, Siakam had a good defensive series. I think OG was notably better, uh, and which is not to knock Siakam. It's just to say how good I thought Ananobi was. Yeah, and he played well as a small ball five at the end of Game Six. You know, he's he's a stud, but he's almost like like Siakam, but in my opinion, like a little bit worse because he does a little bit less offensively. Um, as far he's as so much not- stronger. He's so much. He's so much sturdier, like in the the chest and torso. Like, yeah, he can he can absorb a lot. And and I think he's better balanced. Like his body <laughs> weight is proportionally better suited to kind of staying low and and keeping in front of kind of the quicker guards. Because like Siakam got just torched by Tatum on a drive there at the end of the game, which was really big, <laughs> really bad for the Raptors. And uh, and Anobi didn't get beat like that at all. You can you can build an NBA team with three and D wings like they have, or I don't know wings with size who are 
super elite athletes and defenders, but maybe can't shoot the three as well, like the Raptors have done. But I think, you know, obviously the Celtics have built their team around two-way players who can also shoot the ball and are three-level scorers. And when you have that, I mean, there's no need. Is there a need for OGN and Obi on the Celtics roster? I mean, obviously you'd love to have him. Maybe he's better than Tice or maybe, you know, but. He's definitely better than (laughs) Ojale. Sure. But if you got Jordan Hayward out there, you don't need Ojale playing those minutes, right? So ideally, you know, it's like as much as we love guys like Ananobi and Siakam and as great as they are, you're winning the championship with wings of a different caliber. And the three and D movement is is only good up to a certain point, uh, and I think it's that's worth highlighting. Yeah, I I think I think Ananobi could, can and and would be. I mean, he was last year, but uh, part of a you know in the very short rotation for a championship caliber team. So he he might not be for sure required in the starting five, depending on what else you have. But I'm I'm I I. I don't know. I'm a little. I, I've never been as high on Siakam as 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 the you know people around the league seem to be, but I I would probably lean towards having Ananobi on my team over Siakam. Um, obviously, they play different roles, and you need different things around them. I just think Ananobi is going to be a better value and and more useful in 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 more ways when you factor in kind of contract stuff. Uh, what's the over and under on how many hours go by before we start seeing trade ideas for Siakam to get him out of Toronto on Twitter? Two hours or less? Who cares? <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, who cares? Uh, Siakam, there was, a, there was a question, a legit question this season and even into the playoffs. Before, we talked about it before the series about whether uh, Siakam or Tatum were better. And just to see the difference in this series, I, I give Jalen Brown a lot of credit for guarding Siakam the way he did. But Siakam had he scored twenty three points per game in the regular season, and I think fifteen in this series. He just did not bring it, and uh, and Tatum so clearly did. It's just night and day. I mean, Mike, the fact that you're talking about OG or Siakam really says something about him. Uh, Siakam looked far better when when. Um, uh, Kawhi Leonard was on on the Toronto team, um, so I mean he's he is one of the greatest development stories in the NBA in the last ten years, and I expect him to continue developing. And I think he's he's a, a good player, and he's he's going to become even better. But uh, no contest between him and Tatum, and OG I think is also going to continue to improve. I, I've loved that guy since his freshman year at Indiana. I mean he's he's always been a tough defender, someone who could shoot threes. And um, he's like the ideal three and D wing for this NBA, and I think his offensive game is only going to improve. He's he's got the confidence, and and he's around the right team in terms of developing the right kind of mentality. And he's he's shown his clutch play in this series. So I I just the future it looks bright for him, and and for for the Toronto team um, in general, I think uh, despite Lowry's advanced age. All right, you guys got any uh, last Toronto <laughs> jokes that end in that's a wrap? No, I think we should retire those, Josh. And by we, I mean you, since you're the only one that uses them. All right, moving on. Miami is next. We will have a new champion this year. There will be no repeats. Um, you guys got any major points that you want to highlight about this Miami team? 
Yeah, you've heard this before. I'm scared of the other team, you guys. This Miami team is really good. Jimmy Butler is a dog, and he looks fresher than I've seen him in a long time. Uh, maybe it was that Tom Thibodeau minutes. Uh, what's the opposite of restriction? <laughs> Abundance. Uh, but uh, Jimmy looks he, he's, he looks good right now, and he is certainly leading that team. And, and he's one of the guys in the league that, that other people look to as someone – who is a true leader? Who's going to stand up for what? I mean, stand up for what he believes in. Who's going to to say what needs to be said? And people want to follow him. Uh, it it's been really interesting to see how this Miami team has been constructed in terms of the type of attitude that Pat, Pat Riley goes after. It's the same kind of thing as those gritty Alonzo Morning teams in the '90s. He likes competitors, and this team is full of them. I mean, I'm just looking at the roster going down the line, and I don't want to uh, uh, speak too long here. So uh, let me just stop there, and I'm, I'm sure names will come up as we discuss them. But uh, I love this team, and, and I think they're going to be a real test for the Celtics. These are two up-and-coming teams in the Eastern Conference who both are, have a, a lot of strong wing defenders, have good scoring, they can shoot the three, they're versatile, they don't have any plodding big men. And uh, and it's it's they were these are underachievers you could say who now have a both of them a real shot at winning the championship this year. I'm terrified of Bam in this series. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know. I mean, Tice, Tyson, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams. The those three are going to have to somehow neutralize Grant. And that's a little bit scary to me <laughs> for different reasons for all three of them. Um, Neutralizing Bam, right? It's it's almost like a Rondo experience where you don't want to pressure up on him all the way because he can't shoot. You want to let him shoot the threes. But if you give him all that room to see the court and all the passing yeah, angles. He can, he, can, he can pass and he can put the ball on the exactly. floor at least enough to get to the rim. I mean, exactly. he's tall and super athletic. So... Um, and we can't, I, I'm also just worried about he can, if they put, put him on the offensive glass, his athleticism and strength, we, we don't have anyone that can match up with both and his kind of court, I, you know, basketball IQ. So we have, we have someone that's short and strong in Grant Williams that has good basketball IQ. We have someone that's tall and bouncy, but not strong enough with good basketball IQ and Tice. And we have someone that's tall and strong and bouncy, but doesn't have enough basketball IQ in Robert Williams. So none of them are a perfect foil. Uh, we we can't play Cantor at all this series again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a really well-constructed team. I think I think the one thing that we can hope for is like, you know, we've all rooted for and love Jay Crowder when he was on the Celtics. We also all experienced the no, 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 no uh, sensation of Jay Crowder shooting threes and too many threes in the playoffs. Uh, he has been on fire in the playoffs for the Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, 40% from three. Presumably that's not going to st- continue. And eventually the, the Heat fans will start experiencing what Celtics fans eventually experienced uh, with Crowder. So like, you know, if Crowder comes down to earth a little bit, I think we are 
built to, to be able to kind of stay with and match up with like their, you know, their Tyler hero types and their Duncan Robinson types better than um, the bucks uh, are around the edges. I mean, the, yeah. I, so, but they've got, you know, they got Andre Godala. I don't know. They're a scary team. They're definitely. I'm with you, Adam. I'm scared of them. I know fear is a choice. I know fear is a choice, James. There, James, uh, <laughs> Josh. Fear is a choice. This is this is a, a team that is just like the Raptors in terms of they are tougher than the Celtics. They are grittier. And it'll be interesting to see whether the Celtics have learned about how to be gritty back from this Raptors series or whether they're going to get manhandled a little bit again. The, the difference between the, the Heat and the Raptors is that the Heat have players who are more dynamic with the ball. They're faster. They can get by defenders better, and they give defenses more trouble. The Raptors are a great shooting team, but Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, they are basically spot-up shooters. They're not, they're not getting by guys the way that Bam Adebayo can. They're not, I mean, Goran Dragic even, I, I think, is a, a quicker guard. Jimmy Butler can, can work off the dribble. Kendrick Nunn can can uh, create his own shot. They they don't just have those guys, but then they've got shooters around them like Tyler Hero, Kelly Olynyk. I mean, Duncan Robinson can really shoot the ball. This team has like eight guys that you do not want to face. There isn't a single player that's going to get minutes in this series for for Miami that isn't going to um, be dynamic when they're in the game, unless they're having an off shooting light night like Jay Crowder or Kelly Olenek can can do, have. Um, and so, and, and Mike, as you said, Bam Adebayo is scary. He he makes the choice to, to instill fear in the Boston Celtics because he's big enough to destroy Daniel Tice and quick enough to destroy Ennis Cantor. Um, and, and he can really pass the ball. He, he's a creator for them. You want to keep going, Adam? You, you got more more fear? I, I just I just think this team is going to be a really tough matchup. You you add in uh, their their talent and and how they match up against us um, with the the grittiness that you mentioned, Josh, and and I think they're just going to be a really tough team. It, it would not surprise me if the Miami Heat won this series. So are you so you're picking Miami in seven again? I'm I'm not making a pick yet. Okay, so let me let me throw some water on all of this because. Uh, just like the Raptors, my prediction is that this will be a really tough series. This will be a dogfight, knockdown, dragout series for the ages. You know, I mean, shoot, that that double overtime game against the Raptors was one of the best games, and it was a Celtics loss that I've seen, you know, in my lifetime. It, it, was, it was insane. It was it, insane. What a joy to be able to watch these types of East Coast yeah. intense series you know um the eastern conference is known for these defensive battles look at the score of tonight's game you know and how low scoring the last few games have gone and really how all of the scoring and all the games have lowered as the uh playoffs has worn on but you know as tough as they are and and they do have i mean there's going to be a guy out there on the court that we can go at defensively for the miami heat They've got defenders, you know, that 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 we can take advantage of. Here's the list: Kendrick Nunn, Adam. Yeah, he's a dynamic offensive player, and his minutes have kind of been all over the place because he can't defend. And we can really go at him and and take advantage of of that mismatch. That will be a mismatch with whoever he's guarding. 
Yeah, he's only getting 13 minutes a game in the postseason. Right. So unless we're, unless he's guarding semi Ojale, I think that that's a huge advantage <laughs> having him anytime he's out on the court. Don't don't put a pass, Brad. <laughs> I mean he he might be he might just be guarding Wanamaker. Great. Um, Kelly Olynyk, our old friend. Defensively, I think we can go at him in the pick and roll. I think we can you draw think so? fouls on him easily. Yes, I you think, think that, so. I mean, my image of Olynyk is is like his feet falling all over themselves and falling down. Like the the guys with the worst lateral quickness on the team would be Olynyk. Uh, I think number two would be Kendrick Nunn because even though he's athletic and quick, if you're sliding to your left but you're moving your right foot in first. I mean, th- th- that's the wrong step to do a defensive slide. Just, you know, just from jump, you're, you're getting blown by. Um, and, and he does that all the time. Like his defensive fundamentals are just so bad. You, you, the two guys you mentioned out of the two shooters, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who's, who's a better defender? Yeah, who knows? Exactly. <laughs> I, I think Robinson, just because he's longer, but sure. Yeah, they're they're not they're not great. Both are going to fight hard. They're tough Miami type players, and they're going to be positionally, uh, I think, pretty sound. But if, if if you're focusing on getting a switch and getting them guarding whoever on our team, you know, of the top four guys, that's a disadvantage. And you know, Duncan Robinson's got the length, but. Uh, th- I mean, those are four guys, I think, right off the bat, Nunn, Olenek, Robinson, and Hero, that you can go at, which is something the Celtics, I think, are going to try to do early on. And there's a sleeper in that category, too, but go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say, I think, I mean, I agree with those four, but I think Hero has been really impressive this playoffs. Like, because he, he's not just like a rookie out there on the perimeter shooting threes. He's been given the keys to the car. And he's often initiating their offense and, and playmaking for them. Um, and he could have been our pick. Uh, he was, we were one off. He was the guy we were targeting. Um, <laughs> uh, so that, that's a little bit sad. Um, and and he, I do like the, the, ang- the added wrinkle of the, the kind of deep, long, long standing and Riley rivalry kind of at the backdrop to this series. Yep. Always, always fun. Um. Yeah. Can I can I just ask a question yeah. about that, Mike? Yeah. The, yeah. So so we had the this debate during COVID about uh, who the number one GM in the league is right now, and uh, it Ainge and Riley, I believe, were in the top three. And and um, Josh, I wanted to ask you. So so Riley is the I think the only GM with the same team to create three different iterations of a championship level contender with the nineties heat with Alonzo morning. If you consider them at that level with the Shaq heat that won the championship with the, my, uh, the LeBron James heat. Uh, if the Miami heat wins, does he then become the best GM in the league? Because it's the fourth time that he's done that. If that's the first time that anyone's ever done that, then I think you got a great argument. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, Red Red never did that as a GM, right? I mean, I guess yeah. the 60s, 70s, and they and 80s. He never did it four times, right? Popovich didn't do that, and uh, and RC Buford, right? You're you're talking about the other okay, guys in that category, Bob Myers, right? Yep. Yeah, 
And, and I mean, I even said on this podcast a few months ago, you know, how long are the Miami Heat going to be doing this roster construction where they're just getting a bunch of solid average tough guys and they've surprised the heck out of me. Um, the fact that this has worked, I, I think, is, is, is uh, because of the, the differences in their roster from this year to last year. You look at Hero, Robinson, and Jimmy Butler. Um, that's, to me, that's the key, and that those three players have taken them to the next level. Um, but, you know, they played a Milwaukee team that, had they played them in the regular season, Milwaukee, you know, obviously the historic plus-minus numbers, but their guards and wings were shooting the PP out of the ball all year long. Coming into the bubble, it was a little different. It wasn't automatic from all those guys, those, those supplementary players. And so, you know, it didn't work out. Giannis had to take over every single possession and, and then talk him, you know, positively give himself some some uh, positive mental talk to to keep that going i mean he's just it's it was impossible for him because he didn't have the supporting cast playing like they did during the regular season to me that's i think as big of a, a factor in the miami heat winning as handedly as they did as just that the heat are surprising everybody yeah well i also think you know all of the the bucks limitations and, and mistakes came to the forefront like buttonholds are just doesn't know how to make adjustments apparently and and spolstra is like a top three coach in the nba um and the fact that the bucks ultimately picked eric bledsoe over brogdon will just you know haunt them uh through to the day when Giannis signs with either miami or dallas or any other team other than the bucks um if if he if he does that I think I think you can you know connect that directly to the choice not to retain Brogdon, uh, who's exactly the type of kind of third reliable, steady playoff playoff ready playmaker that they would have needed to have a chance beating beating a team as well coached and gritty as Miami. Um, and Mike, yeah. you mentioned Jay Crowder before. Two stats that, that surprised me when I was doing my research for this pod, you know, expecting the Celtics to win this game tonight against Toronto, knowing we would be talking about Miami. It was, he's only 30 years old and he's shooting 40%. This is unheard of. I mean, it was only four years ago that we saw in a Celtics uniform the beginning of his decline or what looked like his decline. We saw the lateral quickness on D was not then you know, where it was a year or two prior. Um, and I think that that's going to play a factor in this series. His laterally, obviously he's an amazing defender and he's got so much heart, but I think laterally our youth and athleticism is going to be able to get by him and get into the paint and make things happen for other players. I think that he's another one of the, the players on their team that we should go at. Because uh, I don't think he's the defender he once was. Well, I, I am excited about um, you know Jalen Brown when we when we like after the first season, right? There, were everyone the sentimental choice was to keep Jay around, keep Jay around. Uh, we traded Jay, right? I can't remember now. We, yeah, we, we, traded we traded him to Cleveland. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, he was in, in the, the deal for Kyrie. Kyrie trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We moved on from. Didn't, Jay didn't he make a comment about of, needing to start? Of what? what Adam? 
Didn't he make a comment about needing to start related yeah. to who was that related to? Jalen. I think Jalen Brown. It was Jalen, and that's yeah. and that's that's the part. Well, he also and he also was not excited about Hayward coming. Um, right. But so I really kind of just want to watch Jalen Jalen Brown uh, kind of take it to Jay. As much as I love Jay when he was on the Celtics, uh, that that is I don't know if they're going to match up one on one. I hope Jay tries to. Is Jay even starting for them? I don't even know who the the Heat's yeah. normal starters are right now. Yeah, he's starting for them and playing like 30, 35 minutes a game. He's playing yeah. huge because he's, yeah, he's playing, playing so well. A game. I mean, he he thought he was Ray Allen with with Avery Bradley coming in to take his minutes. It was like he thought he was, you know, he thought he deserved that that type of a stature, um, and he didn't. He wasn't that good. But I mean, this is the guy who, despite Marcus Smart always being a bulldog type player. He learned from Crowder. I mean, that was his mentor, um, and 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 Avery Bradley. I mean, this is Jay Crowder is the guy who set the tone for the entire organization after the KG era, and helped transition it to what it is now. He he understands toughness and understands Celtics pride. I think um, maybe even more so than Olenek and, and in other former Celtics who are still ha- have been in the bubble in the playoffs that we've seen. Um, and but I think you could say the same for Iguodala too. Like, how much does he really have left in the tank? You know, it's hard to bet against these guys who are just defensive stalwarts throughout their career. But at the end of the career, you know, the, against young athletic teams, I think this t- this defense can be broken. Yeah, it, like Iggy for Iggy. Yeah, I think Iggy mostly is done. But it but if we are in a game seven and it's the fourth quarter. If you're Eric Spolstra, you're going to feel comfortable putting Iggy in the game and knowing that his his decision making, his you know he's yep. not going to be overcome by the moment at all, and he and it he's probably going to if anything intimidate other people because he's going to be so kind of calm and and in control in that situation in a way that a lot of players even you know um, with less experience like even someone like Kemba will be much more rattled <laughs> even though he's a better player today in the abstract than than Iggy uh Iggy's going to be more solid on the floor in the you know in a high, super super high leverage moment in the playoffs so that's why that's why Iggy's there that's the thing Josh I you know I totally agree the Celtics are a more talented team but they were against the Raptors too but you have plays like uh, Jalen Brown's missed assignment on um, OG Ananobi for the loss in, in game three. You have a rookie shooting free throws in critical minutes at the end of a fourth quarter in a tight game. You have Robert Williams getting 18 minutes today, and, and that guy can't make a decision. Uh, so you're, you're giving minutes on the Celtics to players that are not as trustworthy as the ones on the Heat. And, and, and I think that the Celtics are, even though they're learning the kind of grit that a championship requires, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that they have that until they prove it. And, and until then, I, you know, I, I, I think I have to go with the team that, is, that has proven it. Miami hasn't proven it either. Who, no one on the Miami team, aside from Iggy, has been to the finals. So, yeah, Iguodala is the only one. So... We're, you know, we're not going against, like, I think that what you just said comes really into play if we 
past Miami, and then we're going up in the finals against either a Kawhi-led team or a LeBron-led team. And then it's like, eh. yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, well, I'm making assumptions about the way those series are going to end. Uh, right. So you got, you, you were back to the, to the original argument of, of if we win, it's going to be because we're rising to our potential yeah. Yeah. and we're maturing yep. and we're watching the young guys grow in front of our eyes. And if we lose, it's because they're still in a stage of that development where they're not ready yet for that next leap. I think we've taken one leap up. I think we've taken like 500 leaps from last year, just from a culture-wise uh, perspective, and and from watching, you know, and, and loving this squad. I mean, it's so much easier to love this team this year than it was with with uh, Kyrie. But um, I got. I got the 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 stat, the the low key, the inconsequential stat that you guys should get too excited about with this series that shows why the Celtics are going to win this series. Do you want me to give that to you after we make predictions or before? Before, go give it. Yeah, you're building this stat up, and I just know it's not going to be as good as you making it out to be. Yeah, I thought you know it's this is a 38 percent three point shooting team. In the playoffs, the Miami Heat. You know, if you want to call Duncan Robinson the best shooter in the game, there's not going to be too many Davis Bertans fans on Twitter arguing. I, I so here's the stat. I don't want to call him that. <laughs> <laughs> here's the stat. Uh, they shoot great on one day rest, zero days rest. They're not so good. But one day rest, two days rest, three days rest. This team shoots the ball. When they have six plus days rest, six or more days rest, they shoot 29.7% from three. They last played on September 8th, so Monday will be six days of rest. What time? Uh, what day do we guys play? Do I have to replay? Tuesday. We play Tuesday. They said on the broadcast we were going to play Tuesday. Yeah. Seven days rest. So game one. The statistics are saying twenty nine point seven percent. And and Josh, just just out of curiosity, how many how many times did the Heat play on six plus days rest? Thank you. I don't know what the are sample you, size are. You is. familiar with this small sample size concept? <sighs> I don't know. I didn't see. That's why I called it a low key stat. Should I rename it? One time. That's why I called it a consequential stat that we should get too excited about. I, I am decidedly not excited or going to retain that stat. Um, that, that doesn't lower your fear level, Adam? This is exactly what I expected from this statistic. Celtics in seven. That's my prediction. Celtics in seven. I, that's, that's, that's where I, I mean, after this last series, that's where I've got to go again. I feel like it's going to be very similar. Mike, Celtics in seven? Celtics in seven, yeah. Adam, Celtics and seven. Yeah, my, I, I, I said it before the playoffs. I didn't think the Celtics would get past Milwaukee. I stand by that because I don't think we could have guarded uh, Giannis. But no, well, I, I genuinely don't because we don't have a Bam out of bio. That's that's why Miami was such a bad matchup for them. Because at the end of the day, what Milwaukee does works if you can't defend Giannis, and like 29 28 out of the 30 teams really can't um maybe 27 however miami is one of them the clippers are probably another and then the lakers might be a third and that might be it um maybe philly as well but 
Josh, how do the Celtics how do the Celtics defend now? I think the the Celtics, you know, like I said, it's like guarding Rondo. You give him space and he's got a head of steam and he'll blow by you and he can see all the passing lanes. The Celtics motto all year from the beginning of the year from Brad Stevens is ball pressure. We gotta have ball pressure. It makes every pass more difficult. When they pick up that ball, you get right up on them. I mean, you need to be up in them while they're handling it. It's you need to make it difficult for them. And that includes Bam. Even though he can't shoot, you got to get out there on him. And you're going to see, you know, all three of our five-man rotation guys, and they're all going to do what they do. You know, I think Robert Williams, he's got the best chance to athletically uh, intimidate and challenge Bam. Um, and I think he's able to stay with him on the drives. But obviously, you know, you got your, your the drawbacks that we all know about from Robert Williams. So I think Tice will be fine because he's really raised his game. I mean, the the way he's been able to stay out of foul trouble a little bit more, or maybe the refs have adjusted because it's become a national news story, how uh, he's just been, I don't know, picked on by the refs. Over under three and a half, Tice fouls out in the next series. <laughs> games Tice fouls out. Three and a half games? Yeah, over or under? Under. All right, lastly, should we talk about the refs? No. No, no, that's not. Don't get me started. Yeah, respect the game. Celtics pride. Let's go. I want to say one more thing, uh, and this is for the Heat and the Celtics, that we talked earlier in the season about um, the dirty little secret in the NBA that when you come into a season, everybody kind of knows who's going to win the championship or who has a shot at it. And that this season... It was basically Milwaukee and the two LA teams. And we have never in this season was it uh, apparent to me that the Celtics actually had a legitimate shot at the championship. And I really feel like they do now. And, and same, same has to be said for Miami because I, I really think this is a 50-50 series. But uh, the, the Lakers, I would never bet against LeBron, but that team... Uh, beyond LeBron and AD is makeshift. They they are they're just a bunch of flotsam and jetsam. I, I just do not like uh, the the way that the supplemental parts support uh, LeBron and, and AD as good as those two players are. And I think that's a, that could potentially be a fatal flaw for them. And the Clipper Clippers just look like they have an on off switch. Uh, they just lost to the Nuggets earlier today, and and. Uh, I just don't understand why they're not blowing teams out more. Um, Kawhi, I have said, is is the best player in the NBA right now um, because he brings it in the playoffs. Uh, so there's real question marks about both of those teams, and I expect them to play each other in, in the Western Conference Finals. I'm just really surprised that the Celtics have the type of shot that they, they, they do this year. We, we called this season a bridge year for the Celtics. This was supposed to be transitionary. And they really have a shot. I really hope they take advantage of it because we could be talking about banner number 18. Yeah, I think in the beginning of the season when we talked about that dirty little secret, we didn't know that we, our whole world was going to change. And the underdog teams, I think, got an advantage with the break that we had where they could take a look at their progress, have that, you know, oh my gosh moment that wake up call, you know, where they literally got woke 
in, in a matter of months and decided to, you know, use the platform of sport for a greater good. I mean, this is just so much unforeseen things happening in our lives, in our world, and in the NBA um, that, you know, the, the younger teams like the Celtics, the underdog teams like the, the Miami Heat had that chance to, to really take a look at their identity, who they are as human beings, not just as athletes or hoopers. And to understand what, you know, this is really all about and, and what winning and using their platform as they win means to them um, for a bigger purpose. So it's, it's, uh, it's amazing where we're at, you know, and there's nothing like a, a game seven celebration podcast, in my opinion. All right, everybody be safe. Enjoy the win.